Hi everyone, welcome to Potluck Food Talks. Today's topic is iconic dishes. Iconic dishes, yeah. I mean, you know, like what makes, what, what do you think makes an iconic dish? Like uh, that kind of transcends time and space. I guess it's a dish that, that people talk about and that are representative about a chef and his identity. For instance, Sex on the Beach. You know that dish? Yeah, I unfortunately I know that dish. <laughs> this dish is the most bizarre dish I've ever seen. It's called Sex on the Beach and it's a dessert. And what you get is like something that looks like sand. And then you have like this used condom that it's edible that has milk inside or like a creamy thing. And the way to eat it is that you have to lift the condom and open your mouth and put it into your mouth and this is a dessert it has a creamy thing and strawberries and this and that but i think it's it's pretty crazy that like it's almost humiliating for the guests to make them do that to enjoy the dessert uh but at the end of the day something really punk i would say and memorable maybe in a bad way and it's a dish that people talk about yeah i mean it is and then i think it's made him famous now whether you like it or not it has shock value okay um all right so i would say iconic dish uh, one of the most iconic dishes is the gaguyu from michelle bra oh, amazing dish yeah Gaguyu um, is a riff on a traditional stew from the Aubrac region that Michel Bra reinterpreted. And it's basically a dish consisting of, you know, like 30 plus different vegetables and herbs and flowers that are cooked um, in a certain sequence so that they have different textures depending on the vegetables in mineral water with a bit of ham and are then plated like a very, very elaborate salad of different textures. There also has a couple of sort of sauces on the plate. The dish is constantly changing constantly evolving but this is one of the most replicated dishes in the culinary world without a doubt i think almost even like the very well-known michelin star chefs today most of them have a dish that's sort of an homage to this gaguyu yeah you will see this dish if you google michel brass it's usually the the cover of his of his book of the same name and when i was working in mugaritz we had one of these variations of that dish and i was working in the station that was uh producing the dish. So I would have to go to the garden and and pick up, it was over 30 different uh, herbs, just a leaf of every herb. And every leaf ha had to have uh, its own specific size. For instance, you, you wouldn't have a, a very large leaf of sage because it's very powerful, just a very little one. But for instance, a basil or coriander, you could have a bigger one because you, you can eat this like a salad. So we would know how many uh, bookings we had every day. So if we had like, let's say 30 bookings, I had to pick, let's say 35 leaves of each single. It was like over 30 herbs and about 12 flowers, like flower petals. And this was served just with a an Emmental cheese water, which was made by mixing Emmental cheese and, and mineral water on the Thermomix and then just strain it. And on top there was just a, a Bernoset. And that was a dish. It was amazing. Mm, yeah. So my next one would be Robuchon's potato puree, mashed potatoes. You know that dish? Of course, everybody knows it. I think it's the, the benchmark of any potato puree around the world. It's what is always referenced. And I mean, it's also a sort of representation of that sort of, you know, French cooking that, I mean, dictates so much of the cooking that's going on in the world. To make this puree, you pass the potato first with a thicker 
kind of a, a strain and then a finer one and then you emulsify it with shit lots of butter and that what's make the so nice and so it has this texture that it almost falls from the from the spoon uh yeah Really nice period. I heard him say once you need really good potatoes, you need to boil them with the skin on, not skin, like you don't peel them before you boil them. That's very important. And I think he said it's two parts potato, one part butter. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of butter. Yeah. yeah, it's almost yellow at the end. Yeah. All right. Um, for me, one of the w- really good um, signature dish, iconic dish is Martin Beresategui's foie gras with green apple and eel. Ah, that's a classic. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a classic. It's also been replicated quite a lot and it's just such a like back when he because it's been on his menu for a long time yeah but it was a very modern sort of interpretation and a mix of ingredients you know it had a little bit of a of a japanese influence i feel like absolutely yeah yeah and um you know the fattiness from the foie and the yield the texture together with the green apple um i feel like kind of is a symbol of that sort of like new wave of cooking you know kind of like a little bit more fresh a little bit more vibrant more modern that kind of emerged together with Berisategui, especially in spain i would say next fergus henderson's bone marrow dish i mean that's uh that's an all-time all-time classic and it's so simple just cooked bone marrows that you spread on a good loaf of toasted bread and it comes with a parsley lemon salad and that's it yeah with capers in the salad yeah it's just like a yeah like a small salad just kind of like parsley that you lightly chop i mean i think fergus says you uh and he doesn't say you should chop the parsley he says you should discipline it a little bit which just means kind of running your knife through it a little bit fergus is such a poetic guy yeah you want the leaves of the parsley to be there but of course not like a, a complete one yeah, yeah yeah and i mean why is it an iconic dish you know i mean i the first of all it's delicious i ate it many many times times actually at uh, at St. John and it's so simple but I mean uh, again it's it kind of encompasses a movement that Fergus Henderson started this whole nose to tail cooking you know and it really is the sort of like flag for for this movement that he did. I remember once Anthony Bourdain wrote that if you would see this dish on a menu you would know that that chef was a good fella he was one of us <laughs> yeah i mean it's true it's true and it's kind of like that in london also like people who work for saint john you know they're like a clique they're like a family um okay i think i mean one of the most old school signature dishes is the truffle soup by bocuse which you know it's like uh it really is like it just encompasses like bocuse cooking you know i mean bocuse very old school and the dish um it was pretty full on and had like whole truffles in the soup you know like cooked um, cooked in the soup it comes in this like classic white porcelain dish with a puff pastry lid and it's just everything from like a bygone era you know that's sort of like turning point of sort of like you know the bocuse era of cooking to sort of like nouvelle cuisine to like a fresher sort of less heavy style of cooking but i think the fact that like this is pretty badass putting whole truffles in your soup so my next dish is old molens from enrico olvera and i i really i really like this dish because it's so minimalistic and it tells a story because you have like it's just like one dot inside of a bigger dot the dot on the center is the the young mole and around it is the old mole so it's a 
you're basically doing like this principle of mixing an old sauce with, with a new sauce, which is the same you see with mother sauces or mother doughs or sourdoughs or these kind of things, but made with mole. And that's a dish. You get it just like that. I didn't have this mole, but I, I went to Cosme, which is one of Olvera's restaurant run by Daniela Soto Inés in New York. And I had the mole they made there with burrata cheese with wood, which was a, an amazing combination, man. Yeah, I, I, I actually had the dish uh, in the original Peugeot before they moved. And it's like you say, it's um, it's such a cool dish because it's so minimalistic. The mole itself, I mean, both moles are super delicious. You just get a couple of tortillas on the side and you just like scoop it up and eat it. And I think this dish is pretty cool because it makes you understand a very sort of complex cultural aspect of Mexican cooking, you know, because um, people like if you get a stew, like if you get uh, chicken, in mole, you know, you'll eat it and you think, oh, this is delicious, but you won't necessarily think about that sauce and all that goes in it and the cultural background of it, you know, and the, the complexity of it also that it's, you know, so and so many days old and that keeps evolving and evolving and evolving. And I think it's, that's really why this, this is so cool because it draws, it teaches you something about what you're eating and where you are. That's amazing. Yeah. I think what, that's one of the most difficult things to do, to tell a story through a dish. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so my next uh, one on the Idia Saba Gnocchi from um, Bulgaris. Quite a while ago now that they had this dish on. But for me, it's like quintessential Bulgaris dish, you know? It's like a mix again of sort of like sense of place and technique. Uh, I mean, for people who don't know, these are fake gnocchi that um, are made from Idia Saba. The Idia Saba cheese is a very traditional cheese in the Basque region. And you basically make a, you make a water from this cheese and you mix it with kuzu, which is a Japanese starch from... Um, from tubers, from mountain tubers. And it's uh, basically why you then pipe it into a liquid and it jellifies into the liquid while you kind of cut off these gnocchi. So what happens is that um, you have these potato gnocchi that when you eat them, just like completely, they're completely creamy in your mouth. I think it gets served, like it, it used to get served with just like a very light ham stock, like a very clear ham stock, if I'm not mistaken, and a couple of herbs on top, that's it. And it's, uh, it's this mix of like ingredients driven cooking and like super forward thinking technique that really embodies the like Bulgarian spirit in my opinion. My next dish would be pineapple and ants from Alex Atala. Yeah. And again, this is just a two ingredient dish and it's amazing. It's just a, a, a dice of pineapple and on top are it's just a, a piece of ant that tastes like lemon. We, we have similar ants in Venezuela. We call it lemon ants. And yeah, and that's it. I think this dish also tells a story. You see this and you probably think that these are two ingredients that come from America. You think about Amazonian cuisine. I mean, it, it evokes ma many things just by seeing it before you t taste it. Yeah, definitely. And then again, it's like I, when he put it on, you know, like entomophagy and eating insects wasn't like so much of a big thing. I mean, it still isn't. But again, it's kind of like, especially for, you know, you're in Latin America and then you have um, guests that come to your restaurant that are like a little bit more, how to say, they're like a little bit more used to safe things. But then you really get sort of like pulled out of this like safe, like fine dining environment, get really put into a place where it's sort of like, yeah, this is here. 
you know, like this is here, this is the Amazon, you know, like uh, people like people eat insects, right? But that's really cool. That was really brave. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay, so my next dish is the Salmonetta Gaudi from very early days of El Bui, which you know is um, is the cover picture of the Mediterranean cookbook from Ferran Andrea, and is I think you know one of uh, one of the most iconic dishes from early days of El Bui. I think like before they really took off, it was like the most iconic dish that they did. Probably, yeah. And I mean, it's it's actually a very simple dish. It's a red mullet fillet that gets cooked with a crust of very finely diced mixed vegetables, like peppers, uh, mixed peppers mainly. What else is in there? I think peppers, zucchini, like, like the typical dishes you, you get in Catalan cuisine. Yeah. And they, they resemble this mosaics you see in Barcelona from Antoni Gaudí and yeah it's pretty cool actually this also tells a story yeah and it was so forward thinking because actually it's quite a, a traditional sort of like flavor combination and dish I mean it's a piece of fish with vegetables on top but what made it so interesting was the beginning of the approach that they took to using new techniques in that kitchen the fact that they achieved this like really even thin crust of vegetables is because they stuck the vegetables to the fish using a gelatin that activates normally gelatin activates when it cools down when it gets dissolved hot and then cools down and it jellifies but this gelatin is the opposite you mix it cold and then when it heats up it binds so they would brush the fish with this gelatin add the vegetables on top very very neatly and then carefully place the fish skin side down and as the fish was cooking this gelatin would stick the vegetables to the fish which i mean was completely unheard of at that time you know and i mean for me still today is an amazing technique That's it for this week's episode of Potluck Food Talks. If you like what we're doing, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok as Potluck Food Talks. The show airs every Monday.